Good morning. I would like to talk today about meditation. I'd like to talk about uh, its importance and how to do it. Now, I know that some of you have a pretty strong meditation practice already, and this topic may seem uh, elementary, but please bear with me. I think I'll get to an interesting place by the end uh, that will be interesting for everyone. Also, I'd like to say up front that uh, I'm going to talk uh, this morning from a perspective of how meditation works for me. It may not be just the same for you, and that's okay. I'm not saying that meditation has to happen in a certain way. I teach what I know because I think it'll be helpful uh, to some people at least. Uh, but if my method doesn't sound right to you, doesn't resonate with you, you are welcome to uh, seek other teachers and try different ways of meditating. So what is the importance of meditation? Why do we do it? Well, ultimately we meditate just to meditate and there is no reason. But maybe before we can see that, that we meditate just to meditate, we have to do an enormous amount of meditation. So in the meantime, we might need some reasons. We need some reasons to keep doing it, to keep coming back to it. Well, one thing is that meditation stops the noise, or at least lessens the noise. It lessens the noise of the 10,000 things that come at us every moment in our mind. We need to stop the noise of the 10,000 things before we can see what's really going on around us. And we need to see what's really going on around us before we can know what to do with our lives. So uh, let's just do it for a bit. Um, if you could all just kind of uh, get ready for a couple of minutes of meditation here. Uh, sit up straight. If you're in a chair, put your feet uh, flat on the floor, uh, if you can. And uh, sit with a straight back, not rigidly, but with a straight back if you can do that. And note what it feels like to be in this room. What it feels like to be in this body, sitting on this chair, or on this cushion, or on this couch, or lying down, wherever you are. Pay attention to your breath. Bring your focus to your breath. Note the rising and falling of your chest and just be present with your breath. 
just right there with your breath. And if a thought comes in, see if you can gently let that thought go. Come back to your breath. Did you hear the 10,000 things? Did you hear them in your mind or see them in your mind? <clears throat> maybe not. Maybe your mind is pretty quiet. Uh, maybe you have a well-established meditation practice and you've already done 40 minutes of sitting this morning and things are very quiet. Uh, and that's great. Uh, but maybe you heard the noise of the 10,000 things while you were sitting. Uh, maybe during that brief couple of minutes, you saw a lot of things arising in your mind. And maybe they seem persistent. Uh, maybe they seem relentless. Maybe they even seemed overwhelming. Maybe you didn't even want to keep uh, doing this. And uh, it's not too much an exaggeration to say that that's what we walk around with most of the time. All of that noise, the 10,000 things. So the first great benefit of meditation is that we begin to see that this is going on all the time. And we may say to ourselves, oh my goodness, how can I ever quiet things down? How can I ever come up with an intention about how to live my life with all of this uh, noise going on? But meditation can stop the noise for a little bit anyway. And at first, it may seem impossible to quiet things down. Uh, that's okay. If it seems impossible, just wait a while, because you never know how it's going to be next time. You never know when you sit down to meditate what you're going to find. And if this time it seems overwhelming, do not despair. Try it again another time. It may be easy. It may not, but you could give it a try at another time. And if you keep at it, you're probably going to get to a place somewhere, somehow, where you're going to find a little peace. Now, there may be exceptions. Uh, if you're dealing with some really difficult things in your mind, maybe a significant trauma or significant anxiety, meditation may not be right for you right now. And if that's the case, there are other types of practice you can do. You can do walking meditation. You can do ritual. You can come here on a Saturday morning and you don't have to come uh, for the sittings. Uh, you just come for the 20 minute chanting service and you can do that. You can practice mindfulness while working. You can come to our work days. You can enjoy the social aspects of Sangha and all of these things help to quiet the mind too. 
But if you can meditate and you're drawn to it, I think you should make the effort and I think you should give it a chance. And you can do it in a lot of different ways. The forms we have are really helpful. The way we sit, the way we sit facing the wall, the forms we use during retreats, the chanting we do. But those are helpful things. Uh, they're not necessarily right for everyone. You can explore different ways to do this. <clears throat> and you can find the spaces between your thoughts. Now, in meditation, things don't usually happen neatly in a sequence, but I'm going to talk about kind of a sequence because uh, it's helpful. Uh, so the first thing is that we see the noise. The second thing is that we quiet the noise by coming back to our breath. And the third thing, and this isn't always obvious, and it can be a surprise sometimes, is that once we've quieted the noise, we can welcome things in. This is an essential part of meditation, welcoming things in. It's not just about quieting things down. Welcoming things in is tariki, other power. Seeing the mind, quieting the mind, that's jiriki, self-power. Self-power is essential, but it can only take you so far. <clears throat> and there's something about our ordinary way of looking at things that causes us to try to control our world, to grasp, to kind of thrust ourselves forward into the world and try to fix things there and arrange things there. And so we assert ourselves into the world rather than letting the world come to us, letting the world come to us. That's other power, uh, that's, uh, that's receptivity. But we're hardwired that other way. We're hardwired to reach out and control and be vigilant so that we can uh, survive. We ask, how can I assert myself? And this results in a self-centered view. But we can't be receptive when we're trying to control. We can't be receptive when we're trying to control. And this is how we can get everything wrong. We start with our narrow view of the world, which we've accumulated from various sources, and we try to impose our view of the world on the world. That's where we start, with me and my needs, and we work from there. And the alternative and the radical thing about Zen practice is that we can open ourselves to a very wide view of the world and begin with that wide view. And that is the welcoming. And what does this look like? Well, let's try it. Let's um, assume a meditation posture again. Notice what it's like to be in this room. Notice what it's like to be sitting here or lying here. Notice your breath. Focus fully on your breath for just a bit.
And now I'm going to ask you to just be receptive. But if this doesn't feel right, don't do it. You can just stay with the breath. If it feels right, open yourself up and be receptive. That means seeing what is here, what arises with absolute curiosity, not looking for anything because you don't know what you're going to find. Opening up, being curious, what is this? What is this now? Just notice what you can. Drop your defenses if you can. It feels a little risky, but just let it come. Don't try to control it, just let it come. Just feel it, don't give it words. <coughs> let it change, let it be something entirely new now if it wants to. So I can't promise that things arose and you saw them clearly and had a great moment of uh, revelation. Um, this is accelerated meditation practice this week. Because <laughs> usually you do the quieting part for hours or weeks or maybe years, and then you do the welcoming part. But uh, today is the crash course. Uh, but even if you're new at this, I want to give you a hint of some possibilities, and you can go back later and take it step by step. Um, if you try to open yourself to being receptive, but you just hear more noise, uh, that's okay. 
You can do this at another place at another time. It's not so easy uh, when you're here in a room with a large number of people and you have only a short time. But maybe you saw something or glimpsed something, or maybe you even welcomed in some surprising things. And it might feel a little risky to take this step. We might say to ourselves, uh, I could lose myself. I could welcome something in that will prove to be unwelcome or scary, and it might shake up my world. But if the scary thing comes in, stay with it if you can. Be courageous. That place of not knowing, where you have it all on the line, where you welcome things in without knowing what they are, where you offer up your own worldview and your own sense of security, and you invite things to come in and shake you up, that's a rich place of growth and adventure. So you see what comes, but you don't watch for it. You let it come. You don't think about what's coming in. You welcome it. You don't judge it. You don't direct it. You just let it come. And it's later that you might think about it. Oh, there was that thing. That was interesting. I think I learned something there. So here's an example from my experience. There's this tiny reaction I get. I can actually feel it in my body uh, when my mind takes a sudden and unnatural lurch to a new subject, or when I try to do two things at once. Like things are going along, they feel okay, and I'm like, oh no, I have to do that thing. I get this physical reaction. And it took me years to even kind of realize that, but now I see it and I'm kind of uh, in tune with it. It's like I have this little physical barometer of when I suddenly leave the flow of the universe. And it tells me, stop that. It's time to get back into the flow of the universe. And maybe you have something like that. Maybe every time you encounter a certain kind of thought, you get a little numb in your mind. Or you encounter a certain situation or a memory or a person and it has this effect on you. Uh, maybe you feel especially connected with your body at certain times and disconnected from your body at other times. You may find that you can come to this edge where you just want to laugh. You may find that there's this edge where laughing and crying seem to be the same. Uh, you may find a place where your fears uh, reside, uh, a place where you can approach them gradually at your own pace, and it feels safe to do that, and you can hold them without obsessing about them or thinking about them too much, but just hold them and say, oh, I feel that. I feel that thing. Yeah, that's, that's a thing. So, now I'm going to ask you to be very quiet again and to really put some effort into this, some steady, gentle effort. And we're going to sit again. And we feel that awareness, that awareness of the room and of our body and of our breath. 
try to let go of the words here, my words, for a little bit, and do that welcoming thing. See what arises without judgment, just with curiosity. See what's here. And we're going to uh, relax our body. Relax your shoulders. You may have some tension in your shoulders. Sit up straight, but not rigidly. Shoulders back so that we're receptive. See what the world has to bring to us. And again, issue that invitation, that invitation to the universe, to other power, to come to us and see what it has to bring. Again, if this doesn't feel right, you can just stick with your breath. No thinking. feeling stay with it it's okay you have the support of everyone here with it, let yourself feel it, it's okay. Now, please sit very quietly and let thought come in, not in a meditation posture, but just sit quietly. Let thought come in, take in what came to you. <coughs> what was it? Can you hold an awareness of it? You may be able to put words to it and you may not. It may be too subtle for words. You may just hold an awareness of it that is beyond words, and that's just fine.
what I feel is this is the place I need to go. This is where my fear and strength both lie. So whatever came to you is okay. You can't do this part wrong. There's no point to thinking that different things should have come to me, uh, that I would have preferred different things. There's no point in that at all. What comes is what comes, and it can't be the wrong thing. So that's the next step. We see the noise, we quiet the noise, we come, we become receptive, and then we see what's there. And there's a fifth step, and that is this. Once you begin to see what's really going on and you see it clearly and you can hold it, you may know what to do. This is the action step. And this one's really quite a leap from seeing what is here inside my mind to knowing what to do. How does that happen? Well, sometimes what we see in our mind is something about our habitual responses to things. That's one of the most common awarenesses that arises during meditation. It's not uncommon to suddenly realize when you're even, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years old, that you've been reacting automatically in a certain way your whole life without being aware of it. And then what you thought was a given in your life is not really a given. And it can actually be changed. That maybe you get this little physical reaction when you try to do two things at once and you pay attention to it and you let it guide you. And it guides you right into the stream of a more balanced life. You're in the stream, you're not fighting against the stream. And somehow simply holding and being aware of what is actually going on in our mind helps us to know what to do with our life. And it's kind of mysterious. Um, an example, I've heard counsel process described in a certain way. And counsel process, uh, many of you know, is something we practice here. And it's a form of deep listening and communication where we sit in a circle and we speak one at a time, and we have an important question to address, and we trust what emerges as we talk, and everyone uh, really uh, listens. And I've heard it described this way, the way council process can be. Say something is bothering everyone, there's a community problem, they get together, and everyone talks about how they feel about the problem. And it's not a decision-making council, it's a sharing of feelings council. So no decision is made and people don't even talk about solutions. And yet when everyone walks away, they know what to do about the problem. Or maybe the community as a whole knows what to do about the problem and things get sorted out. It may not always be this way, but it can be that way. And it's a little like this with meditation. When we have clear seeing, it just comes to us. I see what troubles me. I see my habitual response. I see how that habitual response is not really helpful. And I see that there's another way to look at this. And so what it does, I think, this clear seeing, is it just allows us to remove all of that extra stuff that is not 
helpful. And I can provide an example. So imagine uh, that you have a problem with a relative. Uh, there's a big conflict in your family or a relative is doing something that you feel is really causing a problem. Now, for some of us, this is not that hard to imagine, right? Because it happens. But um, so maybe we have this conflict, the whole family has been drawn in, and there's so much going on in our mind every time we think about this. We have our habitual responses, and we fall into our habitual grooves whenever it comes up. There's resentment, there I go again. Uh, we may have gone over this resentment again and again without getting anywhere. Uh, there's all of that time when we've asked why it has to be this way and why it can't be different. There's all that time we've spent imagining scenarios and imagining what we would do if these certain scenarios were to arise, but they're probably never actually even going to happen. So it's like, if only this would happen, this person would see the light, if only I would say the perfect thing. Uh, but when the noise quiets down, we see all of these responses, we see these well-worn grooves, and we see how useless it all is, and then the habitual responses may fall away. And then we have some pretty clear and stark truths. It may be, well, that person is who they are. They're not going to change. Maybe my responses haven't helped. Maybe my responses have hurt me and haven't changed them. Maybe I have a part in this. Uh, maybe I see now how much they are suffering and where this comes from. Or maybe I see they can change and the situation can change. Or maybe there is something I can say that will really be the right thing. But whatever the truth is, the stark truth is, it probably gives us a pretty narrow range of options about what we can do about the problem. But that's what we have. We may see that the possibilities are pretty limited, but at least they are true and actual possibilities. And then we can go forward. So, if I haven't worn you out with all of this sitting, we're going to do it one more time. And we're going to do something a little unusual that usually we don't do in meditation, but occasionally it's appropriate. We're going to sit now and bring our awareness. our receptivity and now we're going to bring to mind a problem or a difficulty it doesn't have to be your biggest problem it doesn't have to be a terrible problem that might be too much right now it can be a little problem but it can be a big problem maybe it's your deep problem maybe it's the existential problem that you can't put words to but bring it in and just hold it. I'm asking you to hold this difficulty without thinking, without seeking a solution. Just be aware of it, aware of your feelings about it, 
and hold it. Hold the problem for just a little bit. Now just think about that for a moment. How did it feel to hold the problems? Does that seem like it might be a helpful approach? Is that something you might do another time? Okay, thank you for participating. So back to the beginning, why do we meditate? Ultimately, we meditate just to meditate. We don't use it for things. We don't use it to solve our problems. If we approach it as a way to solve our problems, it's not going to bring us into the flow. It's going to take us out of the flow. It's going to be just more noise. So ultimately we meditate just to meditate. It's a giving thing that we do, not a taking thing. That's the key. But Zen is full of contradictions, and I would be a fool if I didn't acknowledge that meditation has benefits, and I'd be a fool not to acknowledge that it can help us with problems. And there's this great irony. You can't go into it seeking benefits. If you do, you won't get them. You really have to just give. You really have to give up your own needs in a profound way. And if you think you're not ready to do that, to give in a profound way, that's okay. Uh, maybe you need rest, uh, and that's all right. And if you hear a voice within that says, it sounds a little dangerous for me to give up my own needs right now, listen to that voice. Don't do this unless it feels safe to do. Sometimes we have to build ourselves up quite a lot before we have the strength and ability to let ourselves go. So I wanted to talk about meditation today uh, because I was thinking about how it's been kind of a tough week. I mean, I thought it was a tough week. I think really all weeks are tough and all weeks are glorious at the same time. And it's just my perception that changes uh, because it can change just like that. I know conditions didn't change, I changed. Uh, but, but today things, or this week things were kind of weighing on me. And one thing that happened this week was that we had a council process on Monday, and the topic was uh, climate change. And I won't reveal anything specific that was said because the council process is confidential. Uh, but I can say a very general thing, uh, that when you get a group of people together to talk honestly about climate change, you're going to see some very deep feelings. And we have some very deep fears about that. I think we all do. 
and it's really good to get it out and it's good to process it with people. At least I felt that way. I felt better after the council process. Um, and we have our other great difficulties. Uh, there's the political situation. I took a break from the news for a while and I came back and it was kind of tough. Uh, we have race relations, that great scar on our society. Um, I was recently in France and there was a police killing there, you probably heard about it, of a young man of Algerian descent. He was 17. His name was Nahel Merzouk. Uh, he was killed in Nanterre, which was just uh, about three miles from the place where we were staying. And there were riots throughout France that occurred while we were there. And it was also reminiscent of what happened after George Floyd's death here. And Kathy and I felt a little traumatized remembering those past events. And we were, you know, just on the periphery of the whole thing. And it, it's hard to even imagine the trauma of the people who are directly involved in all of this. So yeah, so it's a tough time. So what do we do uh, and what do we look to for comfort? Well, the greatest comfort I know of aside perhaps from being together and listening to each other and supporting each other, is clear seeing. Clear seeing because it helps us to know what to do. So we don't despair. We look honestly at the situation. We may take in the worst possible case scenario. We don't dwell on it and we don't stay there, but we acknowledge it. We do this with climate change, though it's not easy. Somehow acknowledging the full extent of the problem, I think, could help us to resolve to act. Well, yes, there are these grim possibilities, but they are only possibilities, and I must acknowledge the hopeful possibilities as well. Clear seeing includes the hopeful side as well. It has to. And because there is hope, we see that there are things that we can do and must do. And because we see clearly, we see what we can change and what we can't change. And that range of possibilities for how we can act may be kind of narrow, but it is very, very real and we can proceed. We can do this with all of our heart. With climate change, for example, we can take personal responsibility for our part in it. And also, and I think this is probably even more important, uh, we can act uh, politically to confront the real sources, the biggest sources of the problem. So clear seeing starts with meditation. You don't need to think when you sit down to meditate of all of the enormity of the problems of the world. All you have to do is stop and sit and come back to the breath and meditate and Things come, and from receptivity comes action. Receptivity and action are one. That is the Bodhisattva spirit. Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of great compassion, hearer of the cries of the world. It is from the hearing of the cries of the world and the cries inside that action comes. And the appropriate action arises so naturally, it's like reaching for a pillow in the night.
So you can do this. You can bring yourself to a place of greater equanimity where you are aware of the full extent of the problems without being paralyzed by them. And in a way, it is so simple. So please keep coming back. If you already have a very dedicated Zen practice, as so many of you do, please keep it fresh. Find ways to challenge yourself. Open up and see what's there. See it anew. If you're new to Zen practice, please give it a chance. Keep coming back here and listening to teachers because it's subtle. You can use it. You have to keep coming back and getting a reminder. So that's, that's what I suggest because it's worked for me. And that's what I have to say. And we have just a few minutes here uh, to hear other voices. If anyone would like to say something. Yes, uh, so Yeah, the question was um, what, what I meant by letting go in meditation, because that can get kind of, kind of convoluted. Yeah, letting go, it's kind of a, yeah, it is, it is kind of a problematic phrase. Um, we say that a lot, I think, in our meditation instruction, when a thought comes, let it go. And it's a little problematic because it, it sort of seems like we have to take action to let it go. We have to try to do something in order not to have this thought. And you can't really try to do something in order not to have a thought. Uh, it's, it's more like, um, uh, gee, at this moment, I don't even know how you kind of describe it. What, what is letting go? What is not having the thought? You know, what is, not attaching, you know, I think that part of our, our brain that attaches needs to give words to things, needs to have thought, the grasping part, it's going deeper than the thought of letting go. It's sort of going to the heart of where that grasping place is. And if you could go all the way deeply into that grasping place, then the grasping can stop. Hey, Ted. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, uh, off that thought, um, one of my mantras when I meditate sometimes is uh, let go. And it seems to do a good job. Um, and I had an experience once when I was meditating in a retreat. Um, uh, um, I had this little wave of fear. Um, and you talked about letting things come. Um, and I, if you know what it was, some topic or something, this was just an unnamed fear that I didn't understand. And a little wave of fear passed through me. And then I sort of had an opening. Everything calmed down. And I just found that interesting that, that I didn't know what the fear was. I didn't understand it. 
but it was there and it led through led to a I don't call it a breakthrough but it was a um, a good thing so and if I should cultivate finding that fear again or or what but um, it was just I just thought I'd share that yeah thank you Paul were you all able to hear that okay good good so so the phrase let go works for you uh, and interesting see this little wave of fear which you couldn't even identify which is interesting and it, that makes sense to me because sometimes I think we sort of have these fears that are kind of existential and we tend to attach them to things. Oh, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that. But it's really, it's sort of like the fear is there in the beginning and we just look for things to attach it to. If we can approach this thing, which we can't even put words to, this existential fear, um, I think as you experience, it can be kind of a relief because so much of our suffering comes from trying to avoid it, trying to push it away, trying to pretend it's not there and just letting it in uh, can be uh, a remarkable uh, relief. Uh, as to whether you cultivate it, go back to it, I'll leave that to you because I think you need to rely on your own wisdom there and it's tricky territory and I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Does it feel safe? Does it feel right to go back to it? I would let that be your guide. I think it might have been fear of loss of control that might have been part of it. Just being open to things coming in might have been the, the fear right there. Fear of loss of control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, Julian. Yeah, picking up on that, um, when you said no, no thinking, right? Mm -hmm. In the middle of meditation. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just listen to the feelings. Or, yeah. And it made me think of you know, the holistic view is like a holistic ear, you know? Right. Right. Especially those like Bonnie had that uh, talk on grief, like the voices and sighs that are that aren't heard and the grief that they can have listened to you in ten years, you know, part of me. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, it's like they all come in, right? Yeah. Realize, um, or at least I realize, oh yeah, I don't have control them. <laughs> right. I've been trying to control it out during work, I'm just gonna you know, put you know, I'm gonna feel the feeling I wanna feel, you know, instead. Yeah. Yeah, control. So that's the emerging theme here. <laughs> and that's really worth looking at. Yeah. Okay, Leo. Yeah, we were talking earlier about meditating. You know, 10,000 things come up. Yeah. You know, personally, for me, sometimes it's 11,000. I've been thinking lately about why we come in here and why I come in here. I want to live in each moment as we arise. And a few months ago, I think Tim was talking about these moments that arise. It's not stop moment after moment after moment. It's arising. And once it arises, it becomes history. And then there's moments that have that come that we obsess with the past and we obsess with the future. And it's hard to live in the moment. Oh, years and years ago, I remember a poem. I can't remember what the poem was about, the title, how long it was. I remember it was T.S. Eliot. He said, part of his poem said, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of our explorer will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. 
that to me, all of a sudden, I was bossing around that old peanut brain for years and years. I just realized what it means if we come in here and know each moment as it arises and know that moment, because that moment is only coming one time. We got to realize that moment and know it. I don't think you can be much more alive than being here in that present time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Tanya has her hand raised, and I think Tanya will be the last person here because I don't want to keep everyone too long. Good morning, Ted. Good morning. Uh, my question is, can you expand a little bit on different experiences for meditation, kind of depending on the amount of time spent meditating? I mean, a lot of people can only fit five minutes in versus... You talked a little bit about longer, like longer retreats, and it seems like the experience will be different depending on how much time you're able to spend. Um, that's that's uh, correct. Uh, the experience will be different depending on how much time you have to spend, and um, yeah, and and we talk a lot about how great it is to do long retreats, and it is, but um, uh, we also understand that people have very different conditions in their lives and not everyone can do a retreat. You might have or something or, or there may be some physical challenge or something like that and you, you just can't do them. So there are many different approaches and maybe you do do a little bit of time. Um, when I first went to a Zen temple uh, years ago, I adopted a very strong steady meditation practice of five minutes a day just five minutes a day, but I was religious about it, so to speak. And it really made a difference. And if you do that and you put your heart into it, and maybe it's not even the same time every day, maybe it's like during nap time or your kid's nap time or whatever. Uh, if you really stick with it, you put your heart into that and you have some mindfulness at other parts of day, the day, it can really make a difference, uh, a difference in your life. And then different times in your life, you may have different times more time to do things. A lot of people really welcome retirement from their job because they get to really do a lot of Zen practice. So it can take some patience to do this, like decades. <laughs> Sorry, this is not the quick answer here. <laughs> Thanks for that question, Tanya. And uh, uh, thank you so much. I feel like we've done a lot of hard work this morning. I really appreciate you joining me in this. And I will. Turn this over to our esteemed Dolan, John Bruin. <laughs>